foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Katie Says Pot. What the hell was that? That was bells in the background. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to the Katie Says Podcast, where Danny Hammett and Katie Bowman talk about movement, the tiny details, the larger issues, and why movement matters. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA. And I'm Danny Hammett, a chronically curious movement teacher. Today is just completely off the rails and I don't know. There's no plan. Just so There's no knows. plan. But but we do have a topic. Yes, we do have a topic. Uh, about a week and a half ago, right? You sent me the, you know, draft, fin- mostly finished the, draft the of full Movement Matters. Yeah, the full manuscript way. of Movement Matters, okay, which is a collection of essays, but that just sounds so it benign. Seems minimal, right? and when, once you've read it, <laughs> well, or is it maximal? Ah! I know. It's if Katie Ann Bowman, I could hug you right now. We're in different states, so I can't. But this is one of those books, and I read a lot of books. I'm like, you know, three to five books a month. That's just, I read a lot. And this is one of the best books. I've ever read, and not just for writing. Your writing gets better with every book. You're like J.K. Rowling. Like every every book is just <laughs> I am without you the beat yourself. Book <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're just you like beat, this. Yeah, you top yourself. But I just and and I hope I'm not hurting anything by saying this, but this book is it's intense and it is radical. Yeah. I mean, that's been said about it. But I almost wonder if it's 
if the world is ready for it, and I certainly hope it is because it's such a different book. And I hope you're not like Tesla, where in 90 years, we're all going to be sitting around in our Wally chairs going, we should have read the book and listened to Kathy. <laughs> well, <You know. laughs> my uh, publicist who read the book, she said, this book is like Silent Spring. Yeah. I, you know, and that's one of the comparisons in my head that I made. I didn't know is, what Silent Spring was. I had never read oh, Silent you didn't, Spring. Oh, okay. So I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, there was this book. What what year did Silent Spring come out? It was wasn't it in the, the 50s I, or 60s? No, I, I thought it was, I thought it was the early 70s. It could have been. I could it be been. wrong. I can look that up. We can, we can find that out for you like that because of the <laughs> internet. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I when I and when I read what Silent so Silent Spring was a book bringing to light I think of the it was by Rachel of, Carson. Okay, 1962. Okay, Rachel so, Carson. Okay, yeah. yeah, so it was about DDT, right? Yeah. Like it was about yeah. hey, this thing that we all have been doing because, you know, it's like, yay, amazing technology, so good, you know, and and we're now we're going to have amazing crops and everyone's going to make more money and we're going to have more food. And then she was like, wow, look at all the dead things that no one's are paying attention, you know, like mm-hmm. there's all this dead stuff and it's actually pretty bad. And, and, and here's a scientific conflict of it. Cause she right. was a researcher. She was, she was, I want to say she was a chemist. I can't remember, but she was outside of the field of DDT. So she got a lot of criticism, you know, from the DDT researchers funded <laughs> by the DDT makers who are like, this is fine. This is bogus science, you know? This is out of your field. Go sit back down. But anyway, it's just one of those books that rattled a few cages. And I absolutely am aware that this book is going to be a burden. <laughs> I'm going to have to wear this book. Yeah. Probably a bit. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't I don't think that that's in any way minimalizing the impact of it by saying that. I think you're right. Yeah. Is the world ready for it? I don't know. Yeah. I had to, I had to write it regardless. No, and I'm really glad you did. I can't wait until it's in people's hands, until it's out in the world, which is very soon, right? Just a couple weeks. Yeah, what is this? It's October. This will come out October 3rd, I think. So it'll still be another, it'll still be about a month. Okay. It's it well, tech, it, like our launch, our big launch for the people who are coming to the Bay Area for this big launch thing that we're doing. They'll have the earliest copy in hand. If you pre-order, you'll have it in hand. Probably mid-November, and then all the bookstores and Amazon and everyone will get it towards the end of November, like the 30th. Okay. Well, just a couple of initial thoughts, like for me personally, and then we'll get into the bigger me personally, because this is all about me, right? No. Well, this, this, well, this episode <laughs> is about you, because I don't think I could introduce this book. The way that I would introduce this book is probably different than a person who just read it would introduce it. And I did, um, you know, I did an interview on this book about a month ago. So Paleo Magazine featured it in their October, November issue. And so the woman read it for this book review piece. It's a very substantial, it's like one, two, maybe I thought four it was pretty, pages. Yeah. I thought it was pretty big for, for that for book so, review, right? Yeah. It was huge. And she was like, she was like, I can't like, I'm, she said, I'm tripping out right now. Like it's I know. one of those books that just makes you go, I'm seeing everything differently. I'm seeing my whole entire life and lifestyle differently. I don't quite know what to do. Everyone has to read this book. I don't know if everyone's ready to read this book. Mm -hmm. You know, she was just really like, this was her overwhelmingly honest response. And so I thought that in dealing with your overwhelming, overwhelmingly just 
authentic response to the book, that would probably be a better way to frame it for people out there right now, rather than me going on, here was my intention with the book. Like, it's just more like, how did the book make you feel? Like, what are the questions that you have? Right. Like, what would you say the book is about? Like in a sentence? Oh God. In a <laughs> sentence? <laughs> you have three words. Go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'd say I know. O- overwhelming and, and just a shift. It's just a, it's a shift that I can't go back to. And it is like those books like uh, Silent Spring or, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land that you read it and it shifts your perception of your place in the universe and how the universe operates. And it's not like a really good movie that you go back to your life after that really good movie or even an entertaining book. It is so thought provoking. And this is stuff that you have touched on before some of it. And you've taught, so it's not like it's new to me, but I just have to say, even if I didn't know you or follow your work, I would be floored. Well, there's, a lot, there's a lot of brand new stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it, stuff it really is, about, but it's, it's the largest possible picture, I think, at this point. Well, yeah. I don't know if I could handle any larger right I, now. I don't even know if a larger picture exists, but it's the largest framing that I see of the problem right now, right? Yeah. So it's just, that's just that. It's really big scope. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating to me that all this stuff's in your head, but it's a book that merits more than one time through, I think. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I'm probably going to do like Move Your DNA, where I read it a few times and listen to it just to reinforce it. But I think this is something I, I almost, it it was challenging. I almost resented having to read it so quickly. <laughs> Sorry. Because of the volume of of provocation, you know, in here. It's, it's huge. Also, it's also essays. And I think essays lend themselves to reading one at a time in any particular order. Like I, I yes. have this book of essays on nature that I read. I mean, there were essays in there that I had read 50 or 60 times and essays that maybe I had only read once. And I would just find myself being called back to the catharsis of certain pieces Mm-hmm. And I mean, I read it till it fell apart and I can't remember the name of it. And I've tried to find it multiple times again, because I would go back like just, I just needed to read this essay called ill nature, which interestingly enough, I put a small section of in this book movement matters. Right. So it's, it's like these pieces that have been transformational for me in these essays, this set of essays is, is the way that I think now after reading other transformational things so hopefully they'll go Mm -hmm. on and change other people and then what they produce will change and that's just how it works but anyway right and that's very true about essays you know and these are great lengths but there's nothing you know thin about them at all and so i think (laughs) you know everybody's going to read it their own way but you know just you know take your time and digest it and really think about it because i'm gonna have to go back and do that with it what was your favorite essay it you know what were my sections. favorite one, and you're going to hear me flip through a lot of my, oh, well, actually, in one of my most favorite essays, and this is because it spoke to me so personally, was The Movement is Counterculture, mm-hmm. just because that part fascinates me so much. You know, the whys of of why we do certain, you know, why are we driven to do things just because it's so much more convenient and comfortable and less awkward. Mm-hmm to do those. So I liked that one as far as, I mean, I liked them all, but I think that one really, I was like, yeah, I say in a, yeah, out loud. So <laughs> <laughs> tell it, tell it. 
All right. Well, where do we go from here for people listening? Like what? Well, I'm just going to talk about it. And then I just want to talk about things that kind of stuck with me, if that's okay. Sure. Because I had some questions and you addressed it a little bit in the book. I think it's a book almost that would benefit from like a companion manual. Yeah. Like sort of a how to deal with all this that you're feeling and thinking and going through with each section or essay. This The book's divided up into science moves, the nature moves, and then food moves, which, I mean, I'm still just like reeling over all that. And then the gist move. And then it has a tremendous appendices, just all the appendices that are available in the appendix is is huge also. Well, and I tried to... And helpful, very helpful. You know, I think a lot of my books are... Um, this book is definitely action-oriented, but I think that we're used to taking action in exercise format, right? It's like, here's the 12 exercises, here's the 30 exercises, here's the exercise program. Like, you're used to taking action regarding movement in exercises, where this book, this book is not about exercise. Well, it is about exercise. It's what exercise is relative to movement and natural movement. There are a lot of take action tips. They're just yes. not, I wanted the essays to linger and, and not be like a how-to manual. That all being said, the how-to is in there. You will probably right. have to read it a few times. And we oftentimes we put, put the how-to in the appendices, right? So there are mm. some like more specific how-tos. But I think that if you read this book and then go back and read my other ones, you will see that this book is the framework for all of the other how-tos I've already written. Yes. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I don't, agree with there's you. There's no more exercises that you need. Like the, all of that exists. What you didn't maybe see was the largest picture. And now when you integrate this book, all the other books will be like, oh, I get that now. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe, you know. I don't know. And and it's it's funny that it's so overwhelming. <laughs> like it's it's overwhelming and they do linger. The essays do linger. And I think the how-tos are in there, but you kind of, I personally would read through something and just think, holy cow. Yeah. And start going off on that train of thought and kind of just feel overwhelmed. Like, wow, there's so much differently that I want to do. Have and you started doing anything differently in a week? Has there been yes, yes. What, what is it? Tell me one thing. Just little things like I started reaching for things that I normally would lean up against. You know, I'd like put my hand on something to lean up against it. And instead I'm just thinking like, you know, no, I'm going to use less of the things around me to get to what I need. Here's one for me. What? I want to tell you one of mine in that same sentiment. I often ask my husband to get me stuff like a lot. Like, could you get that for me? And I was like, oh, just one day I'm like, why am I sitting around asking him to go get me things that I could get up and get, you know, I mean, and I'm not talking about, you know, that changing a diaper with one arm and cooking a pot, like right. we're physically unable to do it. And it really would just like, and it's easier for him. I'm talking about times when, it would be just as easy for me than for him. My default is just to ask. So one thing, like the one thing that I've been trying to do is just my more of my own movement on my behalf. Like there are times when I need a favor and there are mm -hmm. times when I don't and I'm just being sedentary. So that, yeah, that was the point. one thing. Just for me who wrote the book, I just, just observed that in myself for the first time after so many years. So. Well, I'm sure you learned tons just by writing this book. Oh, t totally. Yeah. It, was, it was like, as I wrote in the afterward, it was yeah. like, 
as I was writing it, it's like I was reading it for the first time. That's what it was like, which is a that's cool pretty cool trip. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm actually considering starting a journal just kind of based on my processing of that information because mm-hmm. you you read it all and you want to change everything. And then the overwhelm sets in and you're like, well, you know, you can't change everything at once. This, things don't work that way. And that's why I suggest like a companion manual. But I think I'm just going to create my own companion manual as I go through it and have a journal that's just based on the process of reading through it. Because, I mean, it's not Twilight, man. You cannot just (laughs) plow through it. (laughs) Hey, it's a good book. But it is very provocative. Very, very provocative book. So I feel like we're doing a podcast and the people listening might have zero idea what the book is actually about so far. Oh, okay. How could I describe this book? Could you give it like a sentence? Like if you you were just to explain it to your mother-in-law. Oh. Wow. Or, to, or to, okay, so or or to okay. Let's say there's someone coming to your class. You know, someone mm. like if you were just to explain it in a sentence, what would that? I'm interested to know what that sentence would be. Hmm. I would say <laughs> no, but this doesn't do it justice. I would say it is. It is a book of essays on humans and their relationship with the world that changes or that could change that entire relationship with the world. And that doesn't really do it justice, but it's, it's about everything we do and don't do and how it affects the ecosystem that we're part of it. Some of my favorite essays were parts about how we have separated ourselves from nature. And I never thought of it that way, you know, as being separate from nature but those were some of my favorite pieces. Like, does that really sell? Yeah, does that no, really sell the book? Anybody? I just. Uh, it's not about. It's not about. No, but the I mean book. to it's make you like, people want to read it because it really is worth reading. But I think I would have to. I don't know if it deserve if I could do it in a sentence. How would you describe well, it in a sentence? I would say it's a book explaining through essays because I feel like it's too big of an idea. Like it almost needs to become, and it almost needs to come in subconsciously first before I say, it's like it's implied, 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 and then it's very explicit afterwards. It's a book about how you are, how you think, and that you move how you think. And right now, a predominant line of thought that you have that you probably don't realize that you have is that you actually live outside of nature and natural law. You truly are embodying this incorrect idea that you don't exist in the natural world. Yes. And and the repercussions of that and how once you start thinking along those lines, you're creating that reality and it's your that separation between you and nature is getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And then the way that you think and then the way that you investigate problems and then the way that you begin to view the information from those investigations, you're using them to reinforce that separation and you're going to do it right up to the point in which you're extinct. And and that's actually one of my favorite paragraphs that I pulled out. Could I read it or is that like weird for me to read it? I don't care which, which okay. page it was on. It was on 44. I'm going to flip open my gap. Okay. 
And it's about that separation, the detriment. Did you highlight? Did you highlight anything in this book? I didn't. I I pulled out pieces and put them in a different document for myself. I was just wondering if you had that highlighter going. (laughs) This was all in PDF. So come on. I had to read it in PDF. Okay. You write, we are currently living in a culture that separates us from what we define and label as nature. And we seem to be suffering the physical and mental effects of this separation. Yet, because we do not see ourselves as belonging to the animal kingdom, as needing clean water and air and food and movement, just as all other wild animals do, our research begins by framing the symptoms of being in captivity as the problem. We see this in many other captive animals, and I describe it in detail in Move Your DNA, cardiovascular disease, musculoskeletal ailments, diabetes, anxiety, depression, and many other modern health problems that can be traced to our lack of movement and our lack of movement in nature. The research striving to heal us is informed by a worldview that sees us as essentially separated from the natural, in quotes, world, which one could argue is our problem in the first place. That, I mean, I like to move in nature. I I consider myself nature girl and all that, but I had that same sort of worldview. Like I needed to come back into nature. And we well, are, I mean, we are part are of nature. it. We are it. And, that, and that's right. just, you know, I mean. I mean, even calling it something different, we call that nature and us over here. I mean, the fact right. that we even refer to it as something. And I, this was at the end of Move Your DNA, right? I kind of already alluded. This book explains, like, I find that there's two lines in Move Your DNA. One is that line that I just talked about there, which is actually, I believe it's in the afterword or the conclusion of yeah, I think it's at the end, yeah. Where it's like even the like you don't even think of yourself as nature, even when you're moving through it. There's like me and this artificial zone around me that's outside of my uh, all other day existence, right? We're not part of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other line in Move Your DNA, which I got some, you know, like. There's some people who didn't understand it and who let me know editorially in the section of the book where I'm delineating between movement and exercise, where I'm saying that exercise has to do with the intention with which you're doing it. Like that, that movement becomes exercise when it's your intention to, to reap solely a physical benefit, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk through nature, but the reason you're doing it, the intention that you're doing it is to extract health benefit for that period of time, which is unnatural, right? right? It's unnatural to do it for that reason. But, you know, there are people who are like, it makes no difference what your intention is. The benefit is the benefit. And, I, and as I put in the book, the difference has a lot to do with scheduling and how we view our life and, and how we fit movement in that's not exercise. So there's those two lines. And I would say that those two lines in Move Your DNA, this book, Movement Matters, explains the importance of those two ideas to to moving through your life, that you will never be able to move. You'll never be able to move versus you'll always be able to choose to exercise. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that is it is, is it beautiful? time for the train? Where's Daniel the tiger? What's going it's on? Fairies. Fairies are here. It's just gonna keep going. I see you, Penelope. <laughs> I see you, Annette. <laughs> that is just lovely. That is the lawn pull the laundry off the line timer. <laughs> you wanna hold on a second? Yeah. I'll shut it down. Hold on.
Here I come. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So those two points in Move Your DNA were kind of just like dropped. You know, they're just like two little drops in a pond that might have rippled by almost unnoticeably. Yet to me, those two points were the platform with which all of us sets on. But people aren't really ready for the platform. They're ready for the calf stretch, right? So it's like, here's the exercises, here's the general. But then there's this next level. It's like, and here's why movement is more sustainable than exercise, you know? And so that's what movement matters. So have you talked to anybody else besides the paleo magazine reviewer and me that just that, that gets sense of overwhelm? I got a text. I mean, there's a, I mean, because I know you've let others read through it, you know, look through. Yes. There's been, there was quite a nice review team. So there's probably about 10 people who read it in addition to the staff, right? So you have the editorial staff that's reading it. And I would say that the feedback from the the editors were like, holy cow, like, and they're not movers. They're not paleo people. They're not moving people. They're just regular people, right? That's the nice thing about editors is they'll often be outside of the culture of the writer. And you really want someone yeah. who doesn't think like you do to be like, well, this is a big leap, you know, like where people who kind of already think like you, they're willing to take l- large leaps and they might overlook the fact that you didn't, you didn't build a strong enough argument where an editor will be like, eh, I feel like this is too big. You, you've, you haven't clarified enough steps between point A and point B. And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. So here were the assumptions that I didn't even know I was holding. And then you clarify and it allows more people to come with you mm-hmm. because for me, I can leap pretty far without perceiving all of the, the data that I have, the datum, which one's singular and which one's plural. I think datum is singular. Yeah, you're right. Without all the data that I have. And then that's why I have to go back and explain it because what seems very clear and logical to me is clear and logical to me because of a bunch of things that I'm considering, but not realizing I'm considering. Right. And then sometimes there's something like this doesn't example doesn't work for me. Who's over here because I think of this and it's like, Oh yeah. All right. Okay. Well, you're right. So I need to clarify that, you know, so that's mm-hmm. the beauty of editing. So, but the editors were like really going, I feel extremely motivated. Like I, I can't, like they found that it was radical yet positive. You know, I pulled oh, yeah. it many times to remove anything that could, you know, really I, come across as judgmental or no, negative. I, I don't think there's anything of that. I mean, you're just not that way anyway, but yes, but I combed it. I mean, yeah. we removed lots of like I would put myself as an example just to show like this isn't a criticism of anyone's behavior or choices. Mm -hmm. This is an explanation of, of how things work and then kind of how that sits relative to other things. But so, but sometimes, you know, without even realizing it, it comes across as negative without you, without you meaning it that way, the word choice. So, I mean, I, I, we did whole passes where like, okay, I want you to go through and anything that feels at all chastising, but we need to change the words because I wanted it to feel compassionate, positive, hopeful. And uh, I think that's going to make more people open exactly. to it, to, but to I what you're saying. Diminish the, I didn't want to diminish the problem either. So right. a lot of times people go positive by minimizing the problem, uh-huh. right? That's their way of being positive. It's like, well, let's just minimize the repercussions. 
minimize, you know, by saying it's okay, you know, you do what you have to do. And I didn't want to do that. Right. So I wanted to be like, this is the problem. These are the consequences. This is how we're thinking about it. But without being like, this is a problem because you guys are all making the problem like other people. <laughs> like this is the, the uh, things that you're all going to have. And that sucks. You know, so I, so there's a way of, I would say, I, I feel like we keep not wanting to talk about the problem as a way of softening the blow, but then you never actually making contact. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to lay the punch, but I'm going to do it in like the, in the nicest way possible. And I'm really writing this book for myself. I wrote this book for myself because my life was out of alignment with the principles that I would have said that I held. But at closer glance, I realized that I myself was not acting in accordance with the way that I would have told other people I was. Wow. Oh, I'm this kind of person. No, no. Half the things in my house come from child labor, slave labor. So so I have a quick question for you on along those lines. When you started to like unwind this stuff and Mm -hmm. and comb it out, did you ever feel overwhelmed yourself? Like, gosh, there's so much. No, because I'm not that kind of, I don't, that's, that's never me. Um, I very rarely will see, I can see what the number of things there are to do but I wouldn't bemoan the number of things to do, right? Because sometimes I think that that's a a way of not taking action. It's a way of becoming, like being overwhelmed. Sometimes people go, I just have to sit down because there's too much oh, to do. Oh, it's over, the like, overwhelm can paralyze. Yes, and I don't get paralyzed. Like if, there, if there's anything, I am a I am an accomplisher as, a, you know, like that's kind of my characteristic, my mm-hmm. personality. So I never, I almost like, I'm more like, Oh, I have to accomplish more because there's more for me to do. But that's that's where Stack Your Life came out of. What I started to do was to not see all of the separate things. I, I would look for the one thing to do that solved the four things that needed to get done. So I think that there's a once you can learn really what stacking means, stack your life, then I found it very easy to make. And I love, I love that you just brought that up because I had opened up this chapter to talk about the whole stack your life thing. Okay. Because you've brought that concept out, what, a year and a half ago or something Mm -hmm. where, you know, you talk about it more and start integrating more. And I thought I got it. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is why you do it. Yeah. But I see it in a whole different and deeper and almost easier light. I'm really glad that we're talking about this in this way because- when you talk about nothing in nature is stacking its functions, it's stacking functions as a human construct. Yeah. And and when you just look at it as it's just, you're just doing your thing, right? You're just getting your food and living your life. And if you can do all this other stuff, having it be part of it. And that kind of made me more excited about stacking my life. You know, it, instead of how can I do this? It just, it seemed more easy and natural like less pressure and just look at it more of how can I bring everything in with me while I do it. I really appreciated that because I thought I got it, but then reading a more in-depth explanation and comparing it with the honeybee, yeah. I I understood it more deeply and it became just, I don't know, it just felt more natural, if that makes sense. Like not something I had to accomplish, but just something that could be a more natural, not even activity, just part of living. Well, I think that 
people hashtag stack your life for me all the time. And I'm looking at it and I can see that a lot of people uh, interpret stack your life to be this multitasking thing. And so that's why in the book, there's questions in the book, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of every, I get so many questions what I did. It was kind of similar. If you've ever read Dear Sugar, it was like that where there would be these essays, but then at the end, she would answer these three questions that she gets quite a lot. And so at the end of every section, there's four, I answered three questions and one of them, I, I don't know if it was there, but it was like, why is stacking your life not just multitasking? And it was to show how they're different, right? So stacking your life is extremely different than multitasking, which I find to be the opposite to living a more natured up version of, you know, a human life. So, mm-hmm. so just to, to show that stacking, like that you'll, you'll always be stacking as a byproduct if you choose the more natural or the more nature-based of any, any decision, of any option, you will find that it makes your life more efficient, that you'll be accomplishing more of the things that you yourself have stated that you would like. It's not about what I say you should want. It's you yourself have said, these are the things that I want and my and your life isn't getting them for you so easily. Might want to check the natural equivalent to that because nature is efficient. Mm-hmm. And and you had talked about a mission statement before too. And mm-hmm. that's something that's that in here. That's yeah. something that's included in the book. And as I'm starting to read through the book last week, I was like, Where where's the thing? Why didn't she put the thing in there about the mission statement? Because I just assumed, you know, it's gotta be in the beginning. First I thought it was kind of like a, you know, a mistake. Like, well, this is not right. And then when I got to it toward the end, you know, where it is, I it made perfect sense to me because if it'd been at the beginning i don't think that the reader would form exactly. a deep meaningful mission statement for themselves or go as deeply into the material and you know it always be in the back of one's mind like is this what i want to do is this where i should be you know and i think placing it where you guys did it resonates so much better i apologize in retrospect for in my head thinking, wow, Katie really blew this one because it was, it was so well-placed. And I say, you know, we're going to do a show, right? On mission statements at some point, because it was, it was really good too. I loved it. Well, I mean, the thing is there, it takes a lot. I think we need to help people through this book is what I think. I I think so. That's why I said, I think we're going to almost need to do like a book club like change yeah, no we'll be the companion manual for this yes. because it's yeah it is it isn't it is a how oh, i don't know light life changing worldview changing all those things and everybody i think people even that live in i don't want to say how do you say it? like more of the primitive movement you know or paleo movement i think even some of this stuff is really going to be challenging to digest of at course, first, if you're because exercising, it's... like if, if you're exercising right now and eating a quote nutritious diet, it's going to be challenging to hear what nutrients mm-hmm. and exercises are like this, that that's part of almost the problem, how we view nutrients as superior to the source. And we keep trying to extract, we're trying to live a sedentary unnatural life and extract these elements of nature and reconfigure them and, and to put them on top of our life. Like that's like, that's going to take, it's going to take some major reframing to go, wow, with my one hour of free time to exercise or do something solely helpful just for myself, I might be taxing other living humans right now. 
Mm-hmm. For the luxury, you know, like we have to really identify our privilege, our personal privilege, and that it's on the backs of other people somewhere scrambling, toiling under conditions that are interfering with their rights, you know, in a way that we would never compromise our own. That is, you know, that we're asking them to do that, but there's too many middlemen where we're not seeing it. Right. And I think that's for my myself reading that. I would kind of have to stop and really think deeply. It, it wasn't something I could just pass over quickly. Did you um, did you go to the OSHA website? I'm just interested to know how many people will actually go when I say, right after I mentioned this, you know, if I'm going to say something like a lot of the stuff in your house that makes, you know, your sedentarism functional is coming from children slaves and other human slaves right now on the planet. Did you go look at the I didn't, website and that I, I included? I did, I did not. And I bet you a million bucks. Well, and I was just trying to get through the book, you know, because I had a time constraint, but I think it would have been too, that was a, that was a tough group of essays for me. And that mm. it would be too tough. I think many people, including myself would probably go back to that after we were ready to tackle it. Mm-hmm. But Sometimes you just don't want to know. (laughs) It's just, and I knew, I knew about the phone thing. When I found out about the phone thing, you know, in an earlier discussion, I. And that will be in our subsequent. So yeah, Yeah. so we did a subsequent one, but you know, Halloween's coming up. I just feel really strongly about, you know, Halloween's coming up and uh, like our childhood holiday is often on the back of one of the most notorious industries for children's slave labor, you know, is that cheap chocolate, cheap chocolate. And so yeah. that's why, just so, since this is, if it doesn't come out in, in October, so what I do personally, and, and a lot of the stuff I've known for a while, and so I'm not having to make, I'm not getting the book of all the changes that need to be made. This is a book of essays. A lot of them have come over time. So you're looking at sometimes years of adjustments I've made in my own life. Right. So, you know, so people can have that as a grain of salt. Is one thing, it's like, well, how do we reconcile, you know, these experiences we want for our children. So like we started having an old fashioned Halloween party at our house so that we could still honor, you know, all that's fun about it. Like right. we don't have to take place. We didn't have to go trick or treating. I could make all of my treats at home and invite everyone here. And I mean, we had like donuts on a string thing and bobbing for apples and you know, spooky stories and we're doing a haunted hike this year, you know? And so you don't have to just say, oh, like, so stacking your life isn't saying, well, I guess there's no Halloween for us this year. Right. You know, (laughs) it's more like, well, is there a way to get the thing that I want in a different way than I just reflexively do? Cause that way was just modeled for me so many times. So it's just like changing your foot position or dropping your ribs. You have to you're still walking, mm-hmm. but you're changing some element. We still are celebrating these holidays, but we're doing them in a way that aligns better with, again, our personal mission statement and these things. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I think this, in reading through this, it removed a lot of the certainty I had about the world. And mm-hmm. I'm always up for questioning things. You know, it's part of who I am. I'm just, I'm curious. And I, ev- to me, everything is interesting. Like I find nothing boring. Because it's just, it's a very interesting place that we live in. But I loved this quote because as I was kind of going through the essays and thinking, oh, I never, I never thought that before. My favorite quote from the book so far, and that's just my first read through. But when you said, certainty doesn't bring me comfort as much as assuming responsibility, both for the decision and the outcome does. Yeah. 
I love that. That was well, sweet. Thank you for that. We're wanting, like, everyone's just looking first. They're looking like, okay, I want to have this decision, but I want to have enough data mm-hmm. so that if it goes wrong, I know who to blame. Exactly. You know, or, you know, and so I just go, I think the first thing to realize is there is there's certainty about almost nothing. Right. You know, and also, you know, I think part of it was to kind of highlight, you know, as a, I try to be a science educator as much as possible. And I think that there's just an, a misunderstanding about what proof is and what research shows us as like that, like that people are thinking that these papers or these things are justifications for their choices. And it's just a, it's an outsourcing kind of, of, of responsibility. Sometimes, sometimes there's just no way to know about everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't live in a community where, where responsibility is personal, but at the same time, there's also a collective responsibility. You know, there, you're an organism, but your family's an organism and you're, local community is an organism and your government is an organism. And so you just start looking at, there is definitely shared responsibility. And sometimes someone knows more about something than you. And, and then, you know, a little bit more, or you have different experience and there's always that trade-off within a community, but we're just at a point where there's a lot of people without a lot of understanding about uh, in this book, as it's pointing out, movement and nature. Mm-hmm. And so we're just all kind of walking blindly and, and, um, it doesn't have to be that way. No. And I think I loved your use of nature to, to parallel and illustrate this ecosystem that we're a part mm-hmm. of because you didn't overdo it, but it was, it all was really cool examples. Like with the trees and the fungus, how do you say that, that network? Oh, Marcariza. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, that and with the geese and the rivers, you mean you didn't, it wasn't, it was about being part of an ecosystem, but the way that you did it, I think it just made so much sense to really see our place in everything else and the way we move through the world. Uh Well, I'm hoping that the geese become almost like the orca was for Move Your DNA. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like a, a lot of people called on that orca floppy fin to kind of, you know, to kind of explain shape and movement and its relationship to shape in the book, I movement ecology, I just kind of, I'll be expanding on movement ecology for really for the rest of my life in the next, next book, which isn't coming up for 12 years <laughs> is, um, just kidding. It'll probably be out. It's probably be out in five months from now. I'm just <laughs> Not if you want to stay friends with me. No, exactly. Just exactly. <laughs> like I'm putting my foot down that, yeah. that, uh, that looking at these basic things that we understand about other animals and how they use each other to get the group from point A to point B. You know, the, the orca whale occurred to me at the, at the last minute I threw that in and the geese was kind of this theme that just kept coming back up in my life Mm. again. And it kind of ties into even my Canadian experience. And it's, there's, there's more depth there than I'm even revealing but it'll probably come out in interviews that I do for the book over the next. I'll be doing a lot, I'm sure, over the next. Oh, I um, think so. Four months. So listen well, to everything. Anything that I come, everything that I do on Movement Matters, I should probably put it in one place so that people can really yeah. use that as a way to make it through this book. I think so. I think this book's going to be around for a long time. I think it's going to be read for a long time, which is, I think, a huge accomplishment. And there's silver on the cover. For an author and an educator. What? <laughs> there's silver. The cover's going to have silver metallic. Oh, really? Because that's important. Oh, it's, shiny. it's shiny. Yeah, like it's shiny. Like a monkey. Well, it's like, look at this the, the, con- the contents are pretty shiny, too. 
There's some good puns. Did you catch the? Did you I catch did. The I sock? did. I know. I was like, she wrote that for me. No, I did. Sometimes I did. <laughs> Absolutely. But it was just, it's such a good book. And to everybody listening, I clearly can't do it justice right now. And like I said, it's going to take stunned. a few it's more. Yeah, you. I am. It's going to stun you. And you, you can, it. you could, you could ask my husband if he were here, he would tell you that I would, cause I had transferred it onto my Kindle. So I could not sit in front of the computer. I could go out and read it in the yard and stuff. And he would watch me just close the Kindle and like exhale and shake my head. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And then just, I'd look over at him and he'd just say, good book. And I just say, it's, it's heavy. You know, there's a lot to think about here, but that's good. Like you did not waste my time with this book. No. And, and I thank you for putting it out there into the world. And, and for those of you listening to this, if you know, just read it, borrow it, buy it, get it from your library, request it from anything. But I really think this is one of those books that will help you move through the world in a way that's just better for everybody, for you, for everything. Yeah, you, your, um, your community, the planet. Yeah, and the and I really don't feel planet. like there was there was anything. There's nothing really super self serving or egotistical about your books because you're very generous with your knowledge and stuff. But this one, I just feel, is a huge gift. Just like move your DNA, where if you have a human body, you should probably be, you know, reading that. But this one is just if you live in this universe, it's probably a good idea at some point to read this book. I definitely yeah. think that everyone in the universe should read it. I feel like I we need too. some sort of universal book award. True. I well, I have I have friends on Zorg, and they could they could do it. You know, it was just really good. Thank you for letting me read it. Of course. An early read. And, of course. Um, and thanks for helping other people. I mean, like this is well, hopefully, we decided to do these because like I said, it's different than any other book that I've mm-hmm. read. I think it doesn't need handholding. Handholding is not what it needs. What it needs is almost, it's almost like you're not even going to be able to talk to anyone about these ideas. That well, that's, much. you know what I mean? It's, so it's almost like it needs a community. Yeah. That's a really good idea is we should have some sort of collective where we can talk about it because I've tried to explain it to a couple of people and find myself not doing a very good job. And that's mostly my fault, but it would be cool to to talk with other people that have read it. I was thinking about doing a book group for it, almost like an online, like Google Hangout, mm-hmm. maybe like at least once where people could, you know, do that. So maybe after it's been out for a month, so get a copy and yeah, let me know what you let's think. Let's do that. I think that's a good idea. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Sounds good. Well, it's like a, it's like a phone call. It's like, bye. I know. See you later. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. You. Okay. Thanks for everyone out there for letting us do it this way. I feel like yes. as, as much as this is kind of like, so what was this podcast about? I feel like this podcast will help for those who choose to read the book. This podcast is really to support the readers of the book because you're going to need it. I yeah. Think. Well, I just, I it's, it's, there's challenges and mm-hmm. there's provocation. And if anybody wants to, to talk with me about it, I'm here. Her phone number is, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So thanks all for listening. For more information, books, online exercise classes, you can find me, Katie Bowman at nutritiousmovement.com. And you can find more from Danny Hemet at moveyourbodybetter.com. Bye. Bye. you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.